0: Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. This brings us to Church Planning 101. And in our text, our next section is deacons. So as elders, the other two elders said, we have this in our constitution and bylaws when the need arises and our family is growing and the needs are increasing. And so the uh, elders have tasked me, teach teach on deacons. Let's rightly understand this office. What is this biblical office of deacons And how is the church strengthened by those who serve in this way? And at the outset, loved ones, it is not that there are the professionals and then there are the spectators. There's the, you know, the the laity who watch the leadership serve. That is not a biblical, that is not a biblical understanding of the church. And we're going to see this unfold as we take this Next section of the letter where Paul is writing to a church, it's been established, he cares about this church, and in the very introduction, Philippians chapter 1, just it, we're still in the introduction, all right, but we've taken time, and the Lord has brought us to this book primarily because this is the only place that in the New Testament deacons are mentioned and addressed in this particular way. Paul wrote to Timothy, Paul wrote to Titus, to the church at Corinth, to the saints who are in Christ Jesus at Rome. But this is a place where there's this group and they're connected and it's in Philippians 1. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, and here it is, with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Word of God. So, then what does the Bible declare about deacons? How do we rightly understand this office, this ministry of deacons? And there it is. If you've got your study guide and you're looking at it, it might be a little overwhelming like, wow i'm gonna get a hand cramp okay so but this this will come up it'll come up on the screen what does the new testament teach what does the bible say about deacons what does it declare all right so we understand that when the bible declares something for the church that's not ever something that well, well we'll see if we can get around to that it's how do we rightly understand that and how do we obey that and it doesn't matter how challenging or difficult it might be is it right then how do we do what's right? How do we do what pleases the Lord? First of all, we see the need. And we'll look at two other passages today, and you see them there on your outline. We're going to be in Acts chapter 6, and we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We've been in these places before, but we're specifically looking at this ministry, the ministry of deacons. As I said last week, leadership is always connected to something needs to be done. Something needs to be led. It's not just a title for the sake of a title. It's because something is required, something is needed, and someone needs to meet that need. There's a need for deacons to serve. In Acts chapter 6, so go there with me. Acts chapter 6. First two verses, we see the church is growing. They've, in, they've encountered so much in the first part of the book of Acts. The Spirit has come, revival is happening. In Acts chapter 6, in verse 1, now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So here we see there's a need. There's a great need in the early church. There's there's something happening that's very dangerous to the church. It's a threat. And so deacons are, letter A, tasked with the meeting of important needs, This is not an office that is just doing busy work in the church. There's important needs, and when there's important needs, here in Acts chapter 6, the apostles had to address how do we meet those needs. The Hellenistic widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So this was an urgent need. This was an important need within the congregation. Understand, here's another demonstration in the New Testament of church membership. This isn't something that has been invented. They knew who belongs and who is outside of. Who do we take care of and who do we have a heart for, but they're not our responsibility. Just because someone lives around me doesn't mean I don't care about them. But I'm not reporting them on my income tax at the end of the year because I shoveled their driveway. Therefore, can I write that house off on my taxes? okay, but I know who's in my family until I give them away in marriage, and then they're part of someone else's family, and then that's how that works, but I understand this is how it works, and if you're raised and you're brought up, that's how we're here, someone was part of this church, they were a member of this church, they moved their job, took took them to Sterling Heights, my job ended in Sterling Heights, and they said, hey, the church that we grew up in needs a pastor, why don't you go out there and speak and see what happens, Okay, And that's how we ended up here. God is sovereign over all of these parts and all of these pieces. They knew who belonged, and there were people saying, rightfully, why are you skipping us? Why don't you help us? Why don't you take care of us? The apostles could have been distracted from eternal matters to deal with urgent needs, but instead, they tasked seven men with the responsibility of caring for these important ladies. Matt Smethurst has written a book on deacons, and he says it this way. He said, the apostles recognize the fundamental truth. A church whose ministers are chained to the tyranny of the urgent, which so often shows up in tangible problems, is a church removing its heart to strengthen its arm. Do you catch that? If the leadership that's committed to prayer and the word are always doing the daily mundane, important things, but the daily mundane and not spending time, these tangible problems, a church is removing its heart to strengthen its arm. A church without deacons may lack health, but a church without biblical preaching cannot exist. So we'll we'll let these things sink in as we evaluate this. Letter B, these deacons, and they're trusted with maintaining unity in the church. And let me be clear, in Acts chapter 6, they are never called, these seven men are never called deacons. That term is not used here. What they do is service, but they're never test. So this is... Simply the book of Acts is a record of what happened. How was the church formed? How did it grow? And later we get to these letters like Philippians, and we see, so this is how it formalized. This is how it worked out. These men are trusted with maintaining unity in the church. So the early church encountered internal conflict, and what could have happened by those widows being neglected and continually being neglected? It could have just ruined the church. Legitimately, they don't care about us. They were complaining, no one cares about us. You can say all you want to, you are loved, but if you, if you don't care for me, I don't feel the love. That's what they're saying here. Again, to quote Matt Smithhurst, given the root problem facing the seven, we can conclude that deacons should be those who muffle shockwaves, not make them reverberate further. They, speaking of deacons, are persons with fine-tuned conflict radars. They love solutions more than drama and rise to respond in creatively constructive ways to promote harmony harmony of the whole. That is the role of what we see in Acts chapter 6 of these seven who are chosen. So let's move on to the qualifications then. So we've established there's a need and I know looking at the, these notes, that's a, that's a lot there, okay? But it's going to make sense in these parts. There's a need. Something needs to be done. Okay, the follow-up question is reasonable, what kind of person should be meeting that need? Is it just anybody? What are the qualifications for the people chosen to meet those specific needs in Acts 6? And then Paul will do, give further description in 1 Timothy 3. The deacons are to be able and proved as servants. They should demonstrate the following qualifications. We're going to look at this. Let me quote Alexander Strauch. Guys, we went through this on Saturdays through his eldership. He's written a wonderful book on deacons. He said, The deacons represent the overseers, the elders, and act on their behalf in service to God's church. It follows then that they, like the elders, need to be properly qualified, examined, and approved by the church. So just like we said last week, the elders are for the church. They're part of the church, but they're for the church. They're not for themselves. Same thing goes with deacons. There's qualifications for them. So let's look here in Acts 6, the foundation of the office. Like I said, nowhere in Acts chapter 6 do we see these men called deacons, but we see the need and we see qualifications given, and later on it gets even fleshed out more clearly in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 6, there in verse three, just to read uh, verse three, they they said, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, and we will appoint them to this duty. So this is where we see the foundation of this office. And they give descriptions, what kind of men were they looking for? What kind of men were the apostles looking for in the early church to take care of these women? And in, in their description their qualifications you can see they love these women they want them well cared for not just somebody put in an office like eh, you know see what you can do we did something they're not politicians they're serious about caring for these and so they said here are the expectations these men in Acts 6 they need to be men of good repute all right they need to be men of good reputation These men need to be respectable with excellent reputations, and that's where that word repute comes from. It'll come on the screen, of good repute. These men were to be of great character, of wonderful, exceptional character and godly conduct. There it is. Of good repute, of good reputation. And also they were men, they said, we want these men to be full of the Spirit, that they were believers, and therefore the Spirit of God lived in them. And as maturing believers, they demonstrated a clear submission to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. These men were to be full of the Spirit, not full of themselves. Whenever you have leadership in a church, if they're full of themselves, well, here's what I want to do. Here's what I think should be done. Who cares? What does God have for us? Let's, let's do that, no matter how difficult it is. Let's function together. These men were full of the Spirit. And if you're full of the Spirit, the Spirit is the Spirit of wisdom. They said these men need to be full of wisdom. So these men need to you know, have the Spirit of God, love the Lord, love His church, understand, know their Bibles, but they need to be wise. They need to be men who know how to apply truth to real situations. Some people have a lot of knowledge. They have a lot of information, but they lack wisdom. How do you apply that where you say the right thing at the right time in the right way, where you do the right thing in the right way at the right time? That requires wisdom. And the Bible says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and he gives liberally. I pray that prayer a lot. Even though my name is Wise, tough name to live up to. I've told you before at my graduation, my dad, my grandfather, and me, we had the three wise men. There you go. It was three. You're welcome, I just threw that in. The foundation of the office, they had expectations. These guys, we want, we want good men. We want them to love these women and care for them. Then there's the formalization of the office. And for that, hold your, you're going to hold your spot there in Acts 6, because we're going to come back there, but I want you to go to 1 Timothy 3. So here we go, some years later, as Paul writes, and he is very helpful in how he describes the qualifications for those who would serve as deacons. And here's where, yes, there's, there's 10 areas to write down. But this is important. This is not where there was a lot of qualifications for elders, but, you know, deacons. Just come up with somebody who, you know, do you have a pulse? Good. You're a member? Good. You can be a deacon. I've heard of some churches, you know, just they vote on deacons and whether the person is even there or not. Well, you weren't here and we voted you in, so you have a job to do. Mm, that's, that's, not, that's not biblical. That's not good. So here we see the formalization of the office. And we're going to see this in 1 Timothy 3. You follow along there in your Bibles. In verse 8, Paul writes and he says, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, So there we see in 1 Timothy 3, those verses, 8 through 12, the qualifications. Let's break these down in case you didn't get all of those written in as we read through it, all right? Number one, first qualification, they must be dignified. Uh, the, the Greek word is semnos, all right? It, it's a word that means reverent. They're serious in mind, and their character is, they're sober-minded. They're, they're reverent. They're not just silly or flippant about important matters, They're not always saying flippant things followed up by just kidding, okay? That's a grown-up person that understands you can say something like toothpaste out of the tube and if you say something in a flippant way in the wrong situation, you can do great damage to someone, to a family. So they've grown up. They're worthy of respect. A man of Christian character worth imitating, a deacon should take his responsibilities serious and use the office, not just occupy it. Paul says they need to be not double-tongued, all right? So these, now he gets into some negative qualifications. And quite honestly, the word dignified or reverent, it really encompasses everything of the rest of the list. And it, each of the following descriptions describes what does it mean to be a reverent man, a dignified man, not double-tongued, Right, doesn't speak with forked tongue. You know, says one thing in one place, and when he's with another group of people, he says another thing. Wait a second, weren't you saying? You know, we have you on video a few months ago, and you said, "Oh, but now the election's coming near, and you're saying." We understand that in the political world that we live in. When that bleeds over into the church. In the name of God, huge disgrace. They're not going to just tell you what you want to hear, but his speech is clear, clean, and dependable. That's a man that can be considered to serve as a deacon. Number three, not addicted to much wine. We saw this last week as well. He's not addicted to alcohol or any other substances. So their mind is not captivated or inebriated by substances. They get a call at 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night. They're still usable in the cause of the church. You had to get me before the after-dinner hour began. No. Sober-minded, not addicted to much wine. Number four, not greedy for dishonest gain. So the deacons... Man, we're going to see in Philippians where I believe they had some role to do with the ministry, sending Epaphroditus to Paul. And so he addresses them like they're part of meeting the needs of congregation and even community. So they're going to be entrusted with resources. Can you trust them? Not if they're greedy. Not if they use their office to get a list to build their, whatever their small business is, their clientele. No, they need to, They need to be men who are content. Number five, they hold fast to the mystery of faith with a clear conscience, with clarity. They're doctrinally healthy. They're sound. Okay? A a deacon is not someone who, years after being in faith in Christ, they pull out the old card, well, I don't really know my Bible that well. No, no. A deacon is someone who says, I'm learning and I didn't know and I'm moving that into the now I understand and I I comprehend this and they're moving things from I'm not sure about to now I have a confidence and a humble confidence about these areas. That's a that's a deacon. The mystery of the faith, all right, it isn't that you can't figure this out. It was once hidden, now revealed. That's why it's mysterious that in the Old Testament that the prophets, uh, Peter writes, were moved along, carried along by the Holy Spirit, and they were given prophecy, and then they delivered the prophecy and went to work understanding, when is this going to happen? Who is this? Where is this going to happen? They they didn't just understand everything. They worked on it, Peter says, and their ministry was actually for us. The mystery of the faith. The mystery of the faith is New Testament revelation. The mystery of how the Messiah would be born of a virgin, how he would live a sinless life, he would be crucified, and then he would be buried and rise again. The mystery of the Spirit of God, indwelling believers to change them, to seal them with the Spirit. They belong. We belong to Christ that we're put into a body and we are being formed as a family for the bride of Christ and this day will one day be consummated and we long for him to return. So they they hold. Okay, it's not just they check the box and I know my doctrine. They hold to it. There's a, there's a seriousness about the gospel and truth and they're not easily swayed and moved by passing events and circumstances. They have a pure conscience, a clear conscience. There's clarity, so they hold to the truth, and in kindness, they stay there. The conscience, that instinctive sense of right and wrong that produces guilt and shame when violated, that God has written his law upon the heart of every human being, that there is a creator. So we're, we're right back to you. Deacons must not profess one thing, and they don't hold to it. They hold to it with a clear conscience saying, this is what I say I believe, and this is how I live. This is what I believe. This is who I am. Number six, they're first tested as servants. They're tested. Now, Paul's intent here it was not to require some you know formal testing procedure necessarily but that these men prove their quality over time in the ordinary activities of the life and ministry of the church that these individuals these men are not, oh, there's an office open? Wait, let me serve, let me help, let me do, watch. No, this has been the course and the conduct of their lives. And so when the church, when the elders are looking for, here's a need, who is currently serving? They don't have an office yet, but they're serving already. And if they have an office, the church will be even more blessed and cared for and loved. Tested. An illustration of testing from the Old Testament can be seen in the life of Joseph. and We talked about him a little bit last Sunday. Taken through some most difficult situations. Being tested, and he passed those tests. He trusted in the Lord. The word that is used here by Paul is dokimazo. I like this word because in the first century, there were those who would take coins and they would shave the value off them, and they would thin them down. And then if they shaved enough coins, they would have more coins. They could coin their own money. They would have silver taking them, shaving them off the coin. So someone would come in, and they had a, a testing, you know, a, a little implement to test, and they would put the coin down in that, and then they would look at it. Does it pass the test? Has this coin been shaved? And it would either be a yes or it would be a no. This one's been doctored. This one has been Diminished. It doesn't meet the test. It doesn't add up. That's the word, dokemazo. They understood that. Somebody comes in. Do you ever worry about that when you hand someone a $50 bill or a $100 bill, and then they get out the test, right? And they look at it at the bank, or they get the pen, and you're like, Lord, please, please, <laughs> make whatever it has to do. Let it Somebody didn't hand me something counterfeit. I Even th- this week, I was somewhere, and I got change back. It was a $20 bill, and the $20 bill was ripped almost all the way through. And so I'm standing there at the register, and I'm thinking, I hope they take it. <laughs> I hope it passes the test. It needs to get out of circulation yesterday, but will it work one more time? And it did, and I was carrying on my way, like, all right, it's yours now. Send it to the bank. Do whatever you got to do with it. An untested person, if given the office of a deacon, would do more harm than good because they misunderstand the function and the purpose and the place of their office and that place in the church. So let them be tested. How are you tested? Just the ordinary life of the church. Are you willing to serve? Are you interested in serving? Are you found when there's a need or too busy, too busy, too busy, too busy? I have my life, my schedule, my agenda. I barely have time to make it to church, let alone serve. Can we also say again that when there's instructions and qualifications given for elders or for deacons, it's not just for them. It's for the entire church that all of the church would aspire to that and follow in their example. So you're not off the hook. You're like, oof, I'm never going to be a deacon. (laughs) No way, you know. Number seven, above reproach. This is also true for elders. The deacon must live a morally upright life. They are men who live like the bishop, the pastor, the elder, above reproach. John MacArthur says it this way he says, Deacons must not have any blot on their lives, nothing for which they could be accused, arraigned, and disqualified. So yes, accusations can be given, but are there people that know them and say, no, no, that doesn't stick to them? Number eight, spouses must be faithful. This is in verse 11 of 1 Timothy 3. That their wives, likewise must be dignified, and he goes through that list, not slander, sober-minded, faithful in all things. And I had to work through this before coming to serve here as a pastor because when I came, we had deaconesses. And there are some who view this as he's talking about, he's talking about ladies, all right? Uh, the word there, it's the same word for me, gynecology, it's that word. So he's talking about their wives. And so I had to work through before I would come to serve here, like, do I see this? I'd never been part of a church that had deaconesses. Do I, do I believe that this is justified from the text that there can be women who serve in the office of deaconess? And I believe you can make that case for it. I wouldn't have come here if if not. But I believe, because, and here's one of the arguments why would Paul give qualifications for the wives of deacons, but in the first part of 1 Timothy 3, he didn't give qualifications for wives of elders? So if he didn't give qualifications for wives of elders, and that's a, a leading office, a superior office in the church of servants, then Why would he give qualifications for the wives of deacons? Unless it's a different office. That argument can be made. But I believe there's a reason why because our wives are not part of shepherding the church, our wives are not part of teaching and preaching. Our wives' ministry for elders, their ministry, number one, is to their husbands and to their families, and then they serve as saints in the church in the way that they're gifted and the way that they belong, but they're not owned by the church. When you have, and this has been a struggle in the past, when you have deaconesses and a widow needs to be cared for, how does that deaconess care for that widow unless she involves her husband, unless she involves another man? If there's tasks to be done, needs to be met, then This deacon is blessed to have a wife who is dignified, not a slanderer, sober-minded, and faithful in all things because he's going to be caring for those who are hurt, grieving, filled with sorrow, and will he be able to meet that need every time? Having a wife that is this kind of a woman alongside of him because they're in the homes. I'm in a study. We're in, I'm in a study, that's my main ministry, whereas deacons are often in homes and meeting needs, and so I believe it's a better understanding now that the deacons have descriptions because if you have a man serving, it also matters what kind of a wife does he have because she is going to be integral to his ministry, caring for those who are often neglected and forgotten. So we just have to reason through these things and work these things out. And I would not say that, well, you know, a church that has deacons and deaconesses, well, that's just... No, we can hold this loosely because there are many people who see this on both sides, make the case for it. But for us, I believe the best way is that there are deacons and their wives meet these qualifications and they minister well and effectively in the tasks that they are given. Number nine, the husband of one wife. Again, you might say, so that means a deacon has to be married? Well, that's not technically all that this means. This means, same for elders, he's a one-woman man. That if he is married, he is devoted to his wife and only his wife. A one-woman man. Same goes for deacons. Number 10, one who manages his household well. The deacon must live a Christ-like life at home. And if you read now in the day of you know, social media, children who grow up in homes where they saw their parents function one way in the church and live a completely, you know, Jekyll and Hyde at home, and then kids get disgusted. The kids look at their parents and they hear them at church, they see them at church, and then they see them at home and they say, it's not the same person. And they're trying to cram this down my throat. I'm not buying it. So this is why Paul includes this. It's not just about what people see out publicly or in the church. You know, bless the Lord, welcome you all. I'm I'm deacon somebody, I'm elder somebody. And the kids are watching and saying, "Eh, if y'all saw my dad at home, Do you hear the care that God has for the families of those who serve in the church? That there's authenticity and not hypocrisy? There's not a person who would serve in any aspect of the church that is without sin. Uh, There's plenty of areas that we have as husbands and fathers that we are lacking and need to grow in, but that's different than being continued on unchecked, unchallenged, throwing the wives, submit to your husbands. No, 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 no. <laughs> Not in the least. That's an abuse of Scripture. Number three, the responsibilities then. I would say once we have, there's a need, what are we going to do about the need? Well, we need to have these kind of men to serve. Okay, well then, what are their responsibilities? Now let's go back to, and you can hold your spot there in 1 Timothy 3, and let's go back to Acts chapter 6. They gave them the responsibilities in the, in the uh, foundation of this office. Acts chapter 6, and we're just going to read verses 3 and 4. All right, verse 3, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty verse 4 but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word so letter a the responsibility for deacons is to assist the elders do you see how these functions together as a team not everybody can be the quarterback and not everybody, you know, can, can play. You're not we're, as a body. We're not all intended to serve in the same position. Paul deals with that even in Corinthians. If everybody was the, I want to be the I, That is Mike Wazowski, right? I mean, that's, it's a problem. It doesn't look right. Monsters. Okay. The the Lord designed the body that every part has a play, a place, and a function, and when every Part of that body is serving and engaged, the body strengthened. The body is built up. The body is encouraged. In Article 12 of our Constitution and bylaws, this is what it says the Board of Elders may, at its discretion, appoint deacons to serve in the following ways. So, uh, Again, elders must be in place for the church to be established, and that's what Paul is dealing with in this church at Philippi. He plants a church, leadership in the church. Here's what we say. Assist the elders in the shepherding of the saints and managing grace community. Number two, assist the pastor at communion and baptismal services. Number three, aid in the general spiritual care of grace community. Number four, supervise the general operations and maintenance of grace community buildings and properties. Number five, perform any or perform other duties as assigned by the board of elders. What's the need? Well, what is their need? How can the deacons meet a need? Is there a need? How do we address that need? Well, I need to be devoted to the ministry of prayer and the word, but the need needs to be taken care of. And so you have to have these qualified men assisting the elders. Letter B, these men serve the church. It's practical ministry, caring for the urgent and important needs of the congregation. So the ministry of the deacon is often a quiet and relatively unnoticed ministry, but the effect of their ministry is eternally profound. So the aim of us studying this would be that every, you know, in this context, men and women, you're married, would would the Lord ever use my husband to serve in this way? Would the Lord ever use my father in this way to serve in this way? Together they work for the glory of God and the good of the congregation, the good of the community, the good of all peoples. How does this process move forward within each congregation? Each congregation has to work that out. Even in Acts chapter 6, we're not given all the details. What did they do? What were their responsibilities every day? How did they distribute? How did they go and get all the food? It doesn't matter. There was a need. Here are the qualifications. Meet the need. Delegate. Meet the need. Take care of those ladies. Using an example, a, a progression here from Matt Smithers again, this de- the deacon sees a problem. He wants to safeguard unity. He thinks creatively, solves the problem. That's what, in Acts 6, that's what they did with those seven men. There's a problem. Do you see the problem? I see the problem. All right, then pray about it, think creatively, solve the problem. And that is what safeguards unity in the church. So I'll say it again. All in the church are servants. If you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, all are servants. Everyone. We're all, we could say with Paul, slave of Christ Jesus. Some serve as assistants to the elders for the glory of God and the good of all peoples. But there isn't, they're the servers, I'm not the server, because I haven't been asked to serve yet. No, 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 no. You hear it constantly coming from the pulpit, constantly in small group community. How can we serve one another? How can we grow and serve? Everyone, if you're in Christ, every member is a minister. So we're calling you to salvation first and foremost. We're calling you to obedience through the waters of baptism. We're calling you, because we see it biblically, come into the family of God for your good and for the glory of God, for your discipleship. Engage in the body and then grow in ministry, grow in serving. It's quite interesting that, okay, with the other two elders that we have, Russ has served, I don't even know how many years he served faithfully as a deacon. Jay has never served in a church as a deacon, the office of a deacon isn't pre, you know a precursor to serve as a. Deacon. If you haven't served as a deacon, then we'll never consider you for an elder. That's not it, but often you will see those attributes in the church. And when you start think about planting, thinking about planting churches, where will leaders come from in Philippi, in Crete, Ephesus? Who's faithful now? Who's faithful when no one's watching? It seems. Because loved ones, check this, the Lord is always watching and if we belong to him, do we care about that? And if someone says not really, then that's a deeper question. That's a bigger problem. Why don't I care about that? Number four, there's a blessing. There's a blessing of deacons who serve well. This is a great blessing. The church is strengthened It's going to come on the screen. There's a blessing. Number four, the blessing of deacons who serve, and now we've added a word, well. Well, I served. (laughs) But did you serve well? Did you serve well? That's what Paul says for those who serve well. For the glory of God and the good of others, not just for self-advancement, personal agenda, What is the blessing? Letter A, the church is strengthened. The church is strengthened. This is powerful. Because of those in Acts 6 who served well, the need was met. The ladies were loved and encouraged. The the racial tension between those who were the homegrown Israelites and those who were out in other cultures and had come back and they felt like you know second rate israelite citizens and the church absolutely washed over that just like Jesus did with the samaritans and he loved them this could have been a huge explosive point in church history for them to not care about these women they're not my people well they haven't come fully back into all Israelite culture, so not my problem. It's not what they said. It's not what they did. The church was strengthened. Acts chapter 6, verse 4. The apostle said, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Verse 6, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. The apostles stayed on track here, being devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word. We see that in verse 4. Verse 5 the whole church was pleased. This is amazing. Seven Hellenistic men were chosen to serve. Now, think about this. Hebrews, full Hebrews, the apostles delegated great responsibility to the outsiders. Let that sink in. That these men, these seven men, were ordained to carry out this ministry. They were set before the apostles. They were prayed over by the apostles. The apostles laid their hands on them, and they were empowered to serve. This is huge, and as we read this, it's like we don't even understand what we just read. Let me bring this home a little bit. Let's go back to the 60s. Let's go back to when there was so much racial tension. And if you have, let's say, a white congregation gathering, and they're gospel-centered, addressing the divide between cultures. And there's a need where there are those who are African American, and there's this tension in the culture, and everybody's watching, how is the church going to respond to this? And so if you have a church leadership, and they're all white, And there's a need among those. And they say, here's what we're going to do. Give us seven men who are different than we are, and we're going to entrust them to care for the need. We're going to empower them to meet the need and show the love of Christ. And in the face of racism and in the face of division, we'll show you what the gospel will do. That's what they did. Instead of saying, we'll keep all the power, and we can't trust anybody else, and we're the only ones. No, that's not what they did. They took a gospel center approach and everyone was watching and they realized these men are trusting the Lord and loving other people and they're letting go of long harbored issues from hell, dividing people up based on the language they speak or the color of their skin. This is how the church deals with it. Understand, the church is not the government. The government has a different responsibility. The church has a responsibility for the sake of the gospel. Jamie Dunlop says it this way, an article in Nine Marks. He said, elders lead ministry. Deacons facilitate ministry. The congregation does ministry. That's Ephesians 4, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry everybody's involved in this ministry. I want to take every idea that someone may have of, I will be a spectator and I will watch you until I arrive, until I learn enough, until I'm comfortable enough. That is just excuses for disobedience and laziness. And you and I have a very short life, and we will stand before the Lord of glory who lived the life we could never live. He died the death that I deserve to die, and so did you. He was buried and he rose again. And he gave us his spirit, and the church was born, and we are to be on mission taking the gospel to all peoples. And we start here at home, and we serve here at home. We don't wait for, well, when the timing is right, when I get all comfortable, then I will Will never happen. That's like saying, when we have everything together, then I'll get married, then I'll have children, then I'll, you'll never do it. And when that baby is placed in your hands, come on, moms and dads, that first time you realize, I don't know, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. And then they turn a teenager and you're like, I still, ah, Lord, help me, Right? but we're going back to command number one, be fruitful and multiply, given to all people. Well, when this happens, and it did, then Acts 6, 7 tells us the gospel is advanced. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 7, the gospel is advanced. That's letter B. So the church, the leadership, they all address the situation in a righteous way. And there were results. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. What are these results? Well, let's read it. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That would be the hardest person to be won to faith in Christ, a priest, fully immersed in Judaism. The word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied, not just added now, multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is incredible. This is the advancement of the gospel. That's what happens when a church handles its business rightly. Cares for others righteously. Let her see, good stewards will be rewarded. Good stewards will be rewarded. Now, that ministry, and we we don't see more of that type in the book of Acts. We see the churches multiplying, the churches growing. But then let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. So we've given the expectation, the qualifications uh, for these stewards. And let her see, good stewards will be rewarded. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says, for those who serve well as deacons. So that's why I included the serving well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. You hear that? Do you hear the motivation for someone to serve well? especially in this office, that they would, Paul says, receive a good standing. They'll be rewarded. That is, in their own confidence, in their own life, in that congregation, a good standing before fellow Christians who understand and appreciate the beauty of humble selfless, Christ-like, John 13 kind of service. That God will spiritually promote this person of willing service and give them more influence and more opportunity to serve and to minister. Good stewards will be rewarded in this way. That they will have great confidence that is boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. They now have a faith that they believe that they've confessed, but they see that faith worked out in their lives, and they're bringing that faith into difficult situations, and their meeting needs, and the Spirit of God through them is blessing the congregation, and they're seeing conflict and division dispelled and quieted. That the deacon is where conflict goes to die, That division in the church dies with deacons serving. They're like shock absorbers. Aren't you thankful for those on your car? That's what deacons are to the church. For the glory of God, the sake of the gospel, and the good of all peoples. So, what then is a biblical view of deacons? Well, here it is. In In a way of summary, there's a great need for deacons to serve. It's a great need. We saw that in Acts 6. It's a great need. This is important. We have to help these people. We have to help these widows. There are high qualifications for deacons who serve. There are important responsibilities of deacons who serve, and there are magnificent blessings for deacons who serve well and of them and through them for the church and for themselves and for the glory of God and the spread of the gospel. Loved ones, can we bring this down to personal application? Are we serving well? Are we serving our master well, or is it an afterthought to us? Are we prioritizing serving the Lord Jesus Christ? That's that's where we need to stay and think and pray, say, Lord, is there a need that I could be meeting through this body? Is there a way that I could serve? Will you enable me? It's not because I, I can do that. I'm, it's because you've done so much for me. I want to serve you. I'm thankful for those who serve. We have people who serve taking care of buildings. We have people who serve preparing communion, helping with baptism. There's a lot that goes into all types of ministry. At the end of the day, it's the body of Christ, every person serving in the way that they're gifted, and the body's built up. And a place is made for brand new Christians, for believers who are taking that first step of obedience from the young to whatever age you wanna fill it. Where are you? And what is your next step of obedience? Let's stand together. Father, I thank you for the gospel. The gospel changes us. And you radically reorganize our desires, our goals, our motives and together we we aim to serve you, Lord. I thank you for your church, I thank you for the countless hours of ministry and service that goes on publicly and behind the scenes. Lord, you told us, and it's recorded in Luke. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors into his harvest. And we together are praying that now. Will you raise up laborers for your harvest? Will you use us as faithful laborers in your harvest for the glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.